Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32 this evening. Let's pray as we come to the Word. Father in heaven, we do pray this evening that you would bless this word to our hearing, that you would stir us by your Spirit to know the very things of the Spirit. Confess that it is easy for us to get distracted and to begin thinking about the week and things we want to do at home later this evening. Maybe conversations earlier in the day or conflict earlier in the day. And we pray that all of these things that you would quickly turn out of our mind's eye and that you would take the center position and our focus. For we would see you this evening, our Lord and our God. We would hear from you this evening, our Lord and our God. And we would be conformed to the likeness of you and our Lord and our God. It's a work in our midst, we do pray. In Christ's name, amen. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. This is the holy and errant word of God. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the awesome day when the awesome and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. The grass withers and the flower fades. The Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. On Christmas morning, 1981, uh, I woke up that morning... Uh, with great excitement, there was the biggest present I had ever seen in my life in my front room there of the duplex that my mom and my sister lived in. My dad had sent a gift from Michigan, and I opened it up, and it was a gift of these cardboard walls that, when put together, created this, this huge castle. And it was the best thing I'd ever seen. The greatest gift I'd ever re received in my young four-year-old life. This castle was bigger than me. I could take naps in it. I could play in it. I could make assaults on the dragons that were hiding in it. And then we had a flood in our basement within six months. And the castle was no more. It had to be thrown away. When I was seven or so years old, on my birthday, my mom took me outside, and there it was, what I'd always dreamed of having, what I'd talked about for years and years, it felt like, 
the thing I had longed for for all of my long seven years on earth. There it was, my own two-wheel bicycle. It was there. It was fire engine red with a huge yellow banana seat. I didn't know my mom had gotten it from a garage sale. To me, it was the best thing on the face of the earth because it meant freedom. It meant I could ride and ride and ride and have freedom. It was a great gift, the greatest gift I thought I'd ever received at that point. But within a couple years, I was embarrassed of my red bicycle with this big yellow banana seat. It was too girly. And so we quickly trashed it, and I had to get a new bicycle. A few years later, I remember when I was 10 or so, my great-grandmother came to visit, and my stepbrother was in town with her as well, and my great-grandmother took my sister and my stepbrother and I to Kay's Merchandise. We walked into Kay's Merchandise, and she looked at the three of us, and she said, you can get anything you want in the entire store. Just pick it out, and I'll buy it. This is the greatest gift I've ever received. And so we went up and down every single aisle at Kay's Merchandise, scanning all of the shelves and running here and there. Maybe I want this. No, I want this. And, and then I saw it. It was the biggest box on the shelf. It was something that I had never had. Nothing like it had I ever had. And, and I thought, this is it. I, there is, I don't need to look any farther. This is it. It was the G.I. Joe hovercraft. And she bought it for me. It was huge. And I played with it for a couple of years and then sold it in a garage sale. And some gifts are... Or not like other gifts. Not all gifts are equal. Not all gifts last. Not all gifts are what we thought they would be in the moment. There's one gift that does not disappoint. There's one gift that surpasses all expectations, and it's in our text today. Remember, the people of Israel, they have been devastated by this locust plague. It's destroyed their crops. It's destroyed their livelihoods. And... Joel has called on them to repent and to turn back to the Lord because he's saying, look, this devastation that has come upon you in the plague of locusts, it's but a type, it's a shadow of the greater destruction that's going to come on the day of the Lord and that you're going to experience if you don't repent and if you don't turn to the Lord. And the people of Israel, they hear Joel's command to them and his prophecy to them and they respond. And as a nation, they come out and they repent to the Lord and they turn back to the Lord. And so the Lord, we are told in verse 18 of chapter 2 here, we're told that he had pity on them. And then if you look after that, as we saw last week, he gives them all kinds of great gifts. The pastures are made green again. The trees begin to bear fruit. The vine gives its full yield there in verse 22. In verse 23, he begins to pour out rain on the land again. In verse 24, their threshing floors are filled with grain. Their vats are overflowing with wine and oil. 
Verse 26, He gives them plenty to the point of being satisfied. And the people of, of God here, they receive all of these, these great gifts, these things that they have not enjoyed for some period of time, some season, and these aren't to be dismissed. Because they're true signs of God's grace. They're true signs of God's favor. They're true signs of God's promises and of His blessing. But they don't last. There's a greater gift to come than mere material possessions, Joel was saying. Things like this just wear out and they fade out and they get used up. But God promises that in the days ahead, He will, according to verse 28, He says, pour out My Spirit upon all it's a promise. And it is the greatest of all gifts. Augustine used to say that, I think I might have said this a couple weeks ago now that it runs through my mind, but Augustine used to say that what Christ purchased for us on the cross was the gift of the Spirit. He gave us the Spirit. And the promise of the Spirit here, as Joel prophesies about it, it reminds us of Moses' longing there in Numbers 11. You may remember that passage when God calls on Moses and He tells Moses that He's to gather 70 elders from the nation of Israel and He wants him to gather these 70 elders so that they can rule with Moses and take some of the burden off of Moses. And He says to Moses that, when he comes to him, he's going to come down in this dark cloud and, and speak to him. And when he does, he's going to take a portion of that spirit that is upon Moses. And he's going to take a portion of that and he's going to, to put it upon these other 70 elders. And so the day comes and Moses gathers together these 70 elders. And as they gather together, the spirit comes down upon all of them and they all start to prophesy. It was only, though, for a time. They eventually stop. But you remember there is two men that were not among the 70. There were only 68 that were there. There were two men that were still in the village, Eldad and Medad. I'm wondering if they had the same dad. I don't know. But Eldad and Medad are in the camp, and as they're in the camp, the Spirit falls upon them, and they begin to prophesy. And so a young man hears them in the camp prophesying, and so he runs off to Moses, and, and he tells Moses that these two men are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, who is standing next to Moses, he says, stop them. They aren't here with us. They, they weren't with us here. Don't, don't let them keep prophesying like that. And Moses says this, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. It's Moses' longing that the spirit of God would fall upon all of the people of God. It's no mistake or no surprise that then in the following chapter, Moses is called the meekest man on the face of the earth. Because there are very few leaders who would wish for something like he did. They would be concerned that they would be displaced or 
that they would lose their authority, that they would lose their power, that they would lose their respect. I remember being told years ago about a famous preacher, uh, the church that he was at, and they hired a number of assistant associate pastors, and he always told the elders, just make sure he's not a better preacher than me. Oh, just makes my heart sink. Not Moses. He desires to see everyone have the Spirit come upon them. Why? Because the power of God that each would have for the ministry of God is what he desires. That all would have this power of the Spirit and would be able to do the ministry of the Spirit and God would receive even more glory. So Joel prophesies that a day is coming the day's coming when Moses' longing will be realized, when the very Spirit of God will be poured out from heaven upon every one of God's people. That God is not a respecter of persons. Joel says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your men shall see visions, even on the male and the female servants. It is in this new age, this time that will come, all God's people will receive the Spirit, and not just a, a portion of the Spirit, not just a coming of the Spirit that rests on them, but it's poured out on them. Poured out. Or as Paul will say there in Titus 3, poured out on us richly. Nothing held in reserve, nothing lacking. The full power of the Spirit of God coming upon His people and taking up residence in them. So that all His people have all the Spirit. It's a gift beyond measure. It's a shocking news, as Joel prophesies of this. Because in the Old Testament, the Spirit would come but he would come upon a person in a limited way. And people would only receive that spirit only for the office that they were they're filling, usually that of prophet or priest or king. And they would only receive it for some time. It, it didn't take up residence in them. It just came upon them and, and anointed them. And so prophets and priests and kings would have the Spirit come upon them. But now Joel is prophesying that there will be a time when the Spirit comes upon all God's people, just as Moses desired, even servants, he says, even slaves, who are God's people, will receive the Spirit, all the Spirit for all their life. A great blessing, a great gift. The very Spirit of God in all His fullness. That fascinating account in the Gospel of John in John 16, where Jesus is with the disciples and, and he's preparing them for his death and, and for his ultimately his resurrection and his ascension. And he says to them, It's to your advantage that I go away. Remember that? It's to your advantage that I go away. Yeah. It just seems ludicrous. What advantage can there be to Jesus Christ going away? Isn't the entire Christian life about union with Christ? Isn't the entire Christian life about being with Christ? Isn't the entire Christian life about falling more in love with Christ? Isn't the Christian life about glorying more in Christ? Isn't the Christian life about 
being conformed more to Christ. That we need Him to teach us. To walk with us. The disciples must have thought. Well, He says, if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. That's why I must go away. And that's actually better for you, disciples. See, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit had covenanted together in eternity past that the Father would send the Son into the world and the Son would live a righteous life. And He would die a death on a cross for sinners, that He would be buried, that He would be raised on the third day, and that He would send to the right hand of the Father. And then the Father and the Spirit would send the Spirit into the world to apply what Christ had accomplished, to apply what He had secured. The Father sins. The Son secures it, and the Spirit applies it. And so it is the Spirit that comes into the world, that takes hearts of stone and makes them hearts of flesh. It's the Spirit that takes people that are enemies of God and makes them children. It's the Spirit that conforms us more to the likeness of Christ. The Spirit. And He's the one that empowers us for ministry. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And the Spirit comes. He applies Christ and all of Christ's benefits. It doesn't come in half measures. In fact, Christ being in the Spirit and the Spirit in the Son, as theologians call that, the doctrine of perichoresis, that, that each person of the triune Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they all mutually indwell one another. And so as the Spirit indwells us, so Christ has made His home in us. He's with us. So it can be called His Spirit. We're in union with Him. He is there with His people by His Spirit. And nothing is lacking because the Spirit is equal to the Son in power and authority. But here's the great benefit. When the Son was in His human flesh, He could only be in one place at a time. He couldn't both be at the temple and then by the Sea of Galilee. He couldn't be both places in His humanity, in His flesh. But the Spirit has no such restrictions. The Spirit can go everywhere and anywhere and be everywhere at the same time. In all of His fullness. And all of His strength and all of His power. Nothing lacking, nothing missing. So Christ and the Father, they send the Spirit. When? When is Joel talking about? Well, prophecies like this, like Joel's, they are awfully hard to interpret. Except when the New Testament interprets it. And the New Testament is very clear about this. Next too, when Christ ascends to the Father, and He is at the right hand of the Father. And then at Pentecost, when the city of Jerusalem was filled with Jews from all over 
the land and meeting there together, suddenly we're told that there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house, which I take to mean the temple. They were gathered in the temple. And then we're told this, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And remember that as these men begin speaking in foreign tongues and they're speaking these different languages, some of the Jews begin to say they're drunk. They've been drinking wine since the morning. That's what it must be. Then Peter rises. Peter preaches to the people that are gathered there and he says these men are not drunk. Then he quotes from this passage in Joel. Great promise has been fulfilled. You're seeing it right now, Peter says to them. You are hearing it right now. What Joel prophesied is occurring. With Christ's ascension to the Father, the great gift of the Spirit was sent into the world in a fashion that the world had never experienced. To take up residence in all its fullness in all the people of God. You will often hear Christians say, oh, I wish, I wish I had been alive at the time of Christ and I could have walked with Him and I could have talked with Him and I could have seen His miracles and I could have heard Him preach. And I, I understand that. I like that as well. But it was not a more favored age than the age we live in. We have much more benefit. The age we live in, when Christ our Lord has purchased redemption, when it's secured, and then He pours out the gift of His Spirit, this is the great gift, the great day that Joel prophesies of. I want to, in closing, just talk through a few areas related to the gifting of the Spirit and see how far I can get this evening. Let me give you a few. First, As we've seen, the Spirit abolishes distinctions in the body of Christ. The Spirit is that great equalizer. He he comes upon sons and daughters. He comes upon old men and young men. He comes upon male and female. He comes upon servants and He comes upon lords. He's not a respecter of persons. So where we attempt, to restrict the Spirit's work from anyone or through anyone simply because of their makeup. We are not in step with the Spirit. Of course, we have to be clear here, the Spirit never works apart from the Word. And the Spirit never works in in a way that is contrary to the Word. Therefore, as an example, the Word is very clear that the offices of elder and deacon are set apart for men. Not because... Women are somehow inferior, but because it's the way that God has ordained it for the sake of order and according to our natures. But Paul makes it clear in Galatians 3 that in the new age there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ because we are all united by the same one Spirit under the same one Lord. There's not division 
There's not distinction. There's not to be discrimination. There's not to be preferences. Christianity, by the gift of the Spirit, is the great democratizing reality in all the world. In all the world. Second, as a result of who we are in Christ, we all have all the Spirit. Nothing's lacking to you, Christian. Nothing's kept from you. Nothing's held in reserve. The measure of the Spirit we are given is sufficient for whatever faces us. Whatever difficulty, whatever trial, whatever sorrow, whatever loss, whatever grief, whatever pain, whatever temptation, we have the fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit is with us in all power. None of us have more of the Spirit than any others have of the Spirit. Now, some of us may have more gifts of the Spirit than others have. Or our gifts may be greater than others have of the same gifts, but none of us have more of the Spirit than the other. We all have the same measure of the Spirit, Him in all His fullness. So it should take away all jealousies. It should take away all envy, all coveting. There's no place in the body of Christ. We've been given the Spirit. The third person of the triune Godhead indwells you with all of His power and all of His might and all of His goodness. Third, because all have the fullness of the Spirit, all in Christ have gifts for the building up of the body of Christ and for the work of Christ. Notice here in Joel 2, not all receive the same gift when the Spirit is poured out upon them, but the result of the Spirit being poured out is that gifts are received. Paul says in Romans 12, 6, having gifts that differ According to the grace given to us, let us use them of prophecy in proportion to our faith, of service and serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Each has a gift given to them and gifts given to them to exercise for the good of the body. Each given a gift, and each to exercise that gift in proportion to their faith. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. For the common good. Peter says in 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Same grace, just varied. The way it manifests through you and the gifts that you employ by the Spirit. If we are a Christian, we have been given the Spirit. And if we have been given the Spirit, we have been given gifts. And if we have been given gifts, they have been given to be employed for the benefit of the rest of the body. You notice that according to this text, ministry is not a one-man show. It's not the pastor's job. It's not even just the elder's job. This is a community endeavor 
where we all bring to bear our spiritual gifts for the building up of one another into a holy temple. Serving one another. Seeking to encourage one another unto Christ. Some gifts are more focal than others. Some are more celebrated than others. But all are absolutely necessary. Think about a church like a a local orchestra. It's kind of like an orchestra. We each all have our part to play in it. For the sound to be, all, to be right, all of us must play our instruments for the common good. And this to me is one of the, the great benefits of the new age, of this gospel age. Is not only have I been given the gift of the Spirit, but I've been given the gift of you. And you've been given the gift of me. Again, same spirit. Same spirit by which our Lord engaged in his earthly ministry is the same spirit that now not just rests on us, but, but indwells us and empowers us to serve one another. And I benefit from you. And you benefit from me as we as we labor together, are necessary for one another. In one very real sense, it isn't just that I need Jesus. I need you. I need Christ's work by the Spirit through you. And you need it in me. As we launch these opportunities to serve at URC over the summer, uh, there'll be a lot of reasons for doing so. You can do it um, to tie people to the church. Uh, but that wasn't the purpose. You can do it so that people feel like they have somewhere to invest and somewhere to belong, but that wasn't the primary purpose. It wasn't just because we needed more hands on deck. That wasn't the primary purpose, though it was wonderful. The reason is because if you and I are not serving one another, we're robbing one another. If I don't serve you, I rob you. If you don't serve me, you rob me. The Spirit has been poured out upon us to help one grow one another? Good question. Are you in step with the Spirit? One of the ways to answer that is, do I come into the church? Do I dwell in the midst of the community of God's people and serve them? Is that what's on my heart? Am I employing the gifts that the Lord has given me, the life that the Lord has given me for the sake of others in the church? Or am I here to be served rather than to serve? Good question. You and I attempt to walk by the Spirit. Fourth, notice that as the Spirit is poured out upon all flesh, as Joel says, this erases distinction between secular 
the secular and the sacred. The reformers understood the importance of this principle. If the same Spirit is given to all and all receive the same measure of the Spirit, the Spirit in His fullness, then there is equality in the church. And as Martin Luther said, he hoped for a day when, quote, when we shall recover that joyful liberty in which we shall understand that we are all equal in every right and shall shake off the yoke of tyranny and know that he who is a Christian has Christ and he who has Christ has all things that are Christ and can do all things. Because in the medieval church what was happening is is that if you were really a spiritual person, If you really wanted to follow Christ and exalt Christ, then you became a priest. You became a nun. You became a monk. The Reformation comes along and says, no. All are ministers of Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are all priests. All of us. And all are to be about the work set before us to the glory of God. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we are to do to the glory of God. Whether we're in a cubicle at auto owners or whether we are on the campus of Michigan State or whether we are sitting in a church office down below. We all are kingdom. Fifth, I must take notice of the fact that in the book of Acts, the book where this prophecy is fulfilled and the Spirit is poured out, that in the book of Acts, when Luke is writing the accounts, he, he will say multiple times that the Spirit has come and filled someone, and almost every single time that he does that, it occurs in the context of the Christian witnessing to others about Jesus Christ. Acts 4.8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, he speaks to them about Christ. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, testify of Christ. And that's no mistake. In part, the Spirit has been given that we might be able witnesses to this lost world that that we are surrounded by. It's not just to create a holy huddle whereby we're encouraging and serving one another. That's not the only reason the Spirit is given. But it's given so that we look without as well. And are bold in our witness. And effective in our witness. The outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost, what happened? 3,000 people repented and confessed and placed their faith in Christ. 3,000. And that's no mistake. The Spirit comes down in tongues of fire and the recipients speak in languages they did not know. Fifteen different language groups are mentioned in that passage. And it's a sign to the church that at its very outset, this is its vocation. To be one of proclamation to a dying world. And those who were saved at that day of Pentecost, they were but the first fruits. The first fruits of of that 
salvation that will reach to every corner of the earth and every tongue and tribe and nation. It was just meant to be a sign that, look, the Spirit is going to work and God is going to accomplish His purposes. And look even here, at the very outset, 3,000 all speaking different languages are coming to saving faith. And it will spread to the ends of the earth. The Spirit has come to accomplish that purpose. Lastly, I must note that in this prophecy from Joel in verse 32, after detailing some of the terror-inducing phenomenon that will occur on that day of the Lord and when the Lord returns, he says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that as we call upon the name of the Lord, we're we're united to Him by His Spirit. And so as we're united to Him by His Spirit and call upon His name, we are shielded. We're shielded from that destruction, that, that coming day of wrath. There is to be no terror for God's people about this coming day of the Lord. He's our hiding place, our refuge, our strong tower. From what? From Him. Because He's coming. Zephaniah 2.3 echoes what we see here. Seek the Lord, all you humble the land who do His just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Isaiah 26, come my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out of His place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their, their iniquity. As Joel was saying here, look, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. As we are united to Christ by that spirit and we call out unto the Lord. That wrath doesn't come upon us. It's a hiding place. We escape, as he says in verse 32. We're survivors who will enjoy the eternal benefits of Christ forever. And in this New Testament age, the Spirit sits upon you and I as a seal of that reality. The Spirit has taken up residence in us. The wrath of God cannot fall on us. You are being made a holy temple unto the Lord by the Spirit. You are His dwelling place. He will not destroy you. You're His. The Spirit is the greatest of gifts. And shall be filling us only in this life, but forever and ever. Because it doesn't grow old. It doesn't wear out. It doesn't become unfashionable to be filled with the Spirit. It's a gift that we can say truly keeps on giving and giving and giving for all of eternity. Best of gifts. Lord our God, we are thankful 
Thankful that we stand and sit here on this side of the cross. And that what our Lord and our Savior Christ Jesus secured the Spirit is able to apply and does apply. We're thankful that we live in this day when the Spirit has been poured out upon all who have turned to You and claimed the name of Christ. And oh Lord, would You help us to walk in that Spirit and by that Spirit. Serving one another, seeking the lost, being conformed more to the image of our Savior, that you might receive glory throughout all the earth. That is our great aim. So we echo Moses' call. Oh, Lord, pour out your Spirit upon more and more. And we would even pray, give them gifts that supersede ours. Because we would see you receive more and more glory. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.